Hello, everybody. This is John with Catholic for Rednecks. Thank you for tuning in to the podcast today. I have a very, very special guest. If you're familiar with Blue Collar Catholic, he has a YouTube show, Blue Collar Catholic. My friend Rob, he used to be a drug dealer in New Jersey. He's an Italian-Irish mobster, drug dealer, in gangs. Um, He was born Catholic, but never practiced the faith. He was just a culture Catholic, like a lot of these politicians and actors and rock stars are, just born Catholic, and they identify as being Catholic, but they couldn't, you know, they're they're about as Catholic as uh, I am a German shepherd. So, anyhow, he... um, left the faith. We was actually never really in it, but uh, he got into dealing drugs and taking drugs and fighting and, you know, got into some trouble and ended up escaping prison, I guess, by going into the military. And then when he was in the military, he became a born-again Christian later, uh, became a spirit-filled believer and started preaching and then uh, a series of events happened in his life that brought him back into the fullness of the one holy Catholic Church. And now he has a really popular YouTube, Blue Collar Catholic. So I'd love for you to just grab yourself a beer or a cup of coffee, make yourself comfortable, and listen to the show. Next, with a very, very special guest, my good friend and YouTube sensation, R.O.B. Rob from Blue Collar Catholic. How you doing, buddy? Doing great. How you doing, brother? Good to Man, be on your show. I overslept. I'm so sorry. The um, my wife kept me up to three o'clock in the morning picking out her background music for her new podcast. It's going to be called Spaghetti Lover. Oh, nice, nice. nice so we overslept, nice. and then I had to walk this 100-pound German Shepherd, and it's fixing to rain, and I walk in the door, and it's, honey, do this. Honey, do that. So <laughs> without further ado, Rob, I just, you know, you got a great YouTube channel, Blue Collar Catholic. Everybody loves it. Everybody loves Rob. Just like everybody loves Raymond, so uh, I just want to ask you, man. Just tell me how it all happened. So uh, again, I want to thank you for being on my show and uh, for you having such a great example for us. You never uh, try and be perfect. You never say you're perfect, but uh, you got a perfect show for us sinners that are saved by grace to watch and learn from. And uh, Perfect example. You've been married quite a long time, and uh, you uh, just showed us why. You came home. You were supposed to do this thing at 10 o'clock with me, but the wife came first. I can appreciate that. Even though I texted you about 30 times, you're killing me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so um, I, I, was a, 
I guess I was a Protestant evangelical, and a lot of a lot of people don't know what Protestants are. Even uh, Protestants don't know they're Protestants. When I was a Protestant, I didn't know uh, for a couple of years until one of my brothers told me, "Hey, we are Protestants," and I said, "Really?" <laughs> but uh, if you're a non-Catholic Christian, I mean, if you're yeah, if you're a non-Catholic Christian or you're a non-Eastern uh, Orthodox Christian, you're a Protestant. So it might be news to some people watching this today. But anyhow, so I was a Protestant for 30 years, and the way it started was, um, you know, I knew I was a sinner. I knew I was a sinner at um, 12 years old when my uh, favorite school teacher, uh, who's a part-time pharmacist at night, uh, asked me if I could sell him some pills and we'll split the money 50-50. And I was really good at math, so I was like, okay. And uh, he hands me a bottle, a sealed bottle. Uh, back then, these 10 milligram blue volumes were pretty popular in the neighborhood. And uh, it had 500 of them in it. So I went down to the projects in Irvington. I grew up in Irvington, New Jersey. And, um, you know, contrary to what, you know, these liberals want us to think, these projects were all Italian and Irish kids. There wasn't even one black kid that lived there, not one Spanish kid that lived there. But there were poor white people, you know? There's such thing as that. I was one of them growing up. <laughs> so uh, Me too. went to the projects. I knew this family. There were six Irish brothers who ironically later, one of them became my brother-in-law and we became really close. But I knocked on the door and I said, hey, uh, you know, these are going for a dollar each on the street. $500 worth here. I'll sell it to you for 200 bucks. And I figured I'd give 100 to my school teacher and I got 100 bucks. 100 bucks, a lot of money for a 12-year-old kid and you know, the 70s, was it, I guess, at the time? Yeah, 70s. Gosh, how old are you, Rob? I am 56. I'm just kidding you. Go <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, I grew up in a rough, a rough area, and these guys didn't know me too good, and uh, I didn't know them too good. So, what go you know, the reality is they were like 17, so they took the pills and shut the door in my face and locked it. <laughs> they stole it from me. <laughs> so... I'm banging on the door, and I had a had a bit of a uh, anger issue back then. And I'm banging on the door. I will burn your effing house down while you guys are sleeping here. You better give me those pills back. And I'm screaming, and they're laughing on the other side of here. And then another kid I knew, another Irish kid whose dad abused him uh, like a year prior, and my mom took him in for a uh, few weeks until his dad left the house. So he knew who I was and he knew my family and I got some tough relatives and uh, he's like, what's going on, Rob? And I told him, so he went inside and I heard him say, dude, you better either pay up or give him his pills back because you don't want to mess with this kid. So they paid me. So they paid me $200 next day in school. I gave my teacher a hundred bucks and then he just started giving me all kinds of pills. I mean, just, uh, just, I was making from him alone. I was making maybe six, $700. More than I make on YouTube now, <laughs> but I was probably making like six, seven hundred dollars a month. And then, um, then I had uh, some family members that same year. I remember walking down the avenue in Irvington, seeing some family members like, "Hey, Rob, we need a hand." And they hand me two like freaking lawn bags, two humongous lawn bags. And uh, they said, you know, they they lived in an apartment building across the street from me, and they're like, "Hey, help us carry it up the stairs," and just you could just smell the weed just reek so strong. I'm like, there's weed in here? Like, yeah, just shut up, kid, and help us out. So there was like four of us, and we each had these two huge, uh, carrying two huge lawn bags. I don't know how much weed it was, but we got up there, and they started 
separate. I will never forget Led Zeppelin's playing on the back in the background. I think it was good times, bad times, <laughs> and uh, there's they're cutting the weed. I'm thinking I'm all cool with all my gangster relatives, and uh, they cut a pound of pot and they throw it to me, and they're like, "Hey, go sell this to your friends." So now I'm selling weed and pills, um, and I was really, you know, I really love sports. I was, you know, a pretty gifted athlete, you know, um, and. It was like the devil just took all that from me within like a year. Like sports was just a, a blur. Now I'm getting high every day, partying, making money, buying alcohol. You know, back then you only had to be 18 and uh, it's not how you look, it's how you act. So I'd walk in all confident to buy the beer and just chit chat and I'd be BSing the guy <laughs> buying beer at, you know, 12, 13. We used to start, we used to hang out in bars at like, by the time we were 14, we'd be hanging out in bars because we all had, you know, I had a ton of money. So I'd leave the barmaids huge tips. So they loved me. Uh, so this was my life growing up. They condemned my school, I guess, in seventh grade. Uh, and so I uh, got bussed over to another school inside of, another part of town, probably the, the nicest part of town, I would guess. There wasn't really a lot of nice parts and everything, but this was probably the nicest part left. And uh seen the prettiest girl in my life mm -hmm. and uh long story short she didn't like me and i just wore down after a while and she became my girlfriend who is uh like a grade ahead of me and then by the time we were 14 uh had gotten her pregnant and uh convinced her to get an abortion so you know planned parenthood they don't care if your parents are there or not in the state of new jersey the liberal democrats don't care if your parents know about it. They just support this abortion industry. So I went to Planned Parenthood and they said 500 bucks and no one will know about it. So we did it. And then that just, uh, that just made us worse, you know, uh, because what Planned Parenthood will do is after they uh, abort your child, they will uh, give the girl uh, birth control and she's got for the rest of her life. She never has to talk to her parents, never know. And, just between you and Planned Parenthood, as long as you keep paying, you know, they're all about the money. So if I could just go like to years forward to now, me and that girl did not deserve to ever to be blessed with a child because we murdered our child. But by the grace of God, I married that girl. And by the grace of God, he gave us five beautiful children five healthy children and 10 grandchildren. Wow. That is the grace of God, my brother, because we didn't deserve that. That's the grace of God. But so me and my wife, we, we went through our teenage years, you know, girlfriend and boyfriend partying and just, uh, she was a beautiful girl. So I was always getting fights over her. Plus there was gang fights. I was very violent kid. I mean, um, honestly, the way I fought, you know, I just learned how to street fight. You know, I would just take out your knee and then stomp on your Achilles heel and then kick, kick you in the head until you were unconscious. And and this is how we fought. We were just nasty street kids from Irvington. And uh, plenty of times, you know, I got jumped and had my head bashed in. I've been stabbed, almost bled, bled out. Uh, just a very violent life, sex, drugs, rock and roll and violence, you know. And um, everybody was Catholic, though. <laughs> everybody in my neighborhood was Catholic. But no well, even the Sopranos, you know. But that? Tony Soprano and them, they're yeah. Catholic. <laughs> yeah, so, so we're all Catholic, but none of us go to church. Um, and I think, you know, like all our, 
all our grandparents either came over from Italy or Ireland and they brought the faith, but then our parents failed to pass it down to us. It never got passed down to us. It went from the grandparents in the old country over to here. And then our parents just got busy working. They came to America, just everybody working, 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 and nobody's going to church. So if you ask me what my religion would be, I'd say, oh, I'm Catholic. As I'm smoking, you know, angel dust and snorting crystal meth and drinking Jack Daniels. Yeah, I'm a Catholic. Um, and, um, but, you know, Christmas Eve, it was like a big thing up there. Christmas Eve mass, everybody loved to go there. And all the girls always wanted to go. So us guys would go with them, Christmas Eve mass, the Catholic church. But by midnight, you know, midnight meet, you know, midnight mass rather. Yeah. That's pretty, well, I got pretty drunk. So that really never really affected me too much because I was so wasted anyway. You know, we just went to go, I guess. So that was, um, and the funny thing is, I say a lot, you know, a lot of our grandparents came over from Italy, but I have really close friends that actually came over from Italy as, you know, I think the youngest brother was eight and the oldest one was like 12 and they became like very close friends of mine. And in fact, I was, uh, I was, I was telling a story about them and uh, one of them uh, reached out on uh, my comments and he goes, yeah, I remember that. And I was like, wow, I didn't even know you watched. And since then we've reconnected. And uh, his father-in-law is Anthony Imperielli, who uh, they tried to make the movie The Saints of Nork about, uh, you know, and they were going to make him look like a really nasty racist. So his family fought it. And so he's not in the movie, but uh so I turned around and made a, a video of the real Saints of Newark telling about the real Anthony Imperioli, who was a hero in the neighborhood and actually a good Catholic, believe it or not. So um, it's funny how, you know, these videos, people, you know, reach people you never think are going to reach. But um, but then I went to the Navy, uh, you know, and I was a mess. <laughs> I was so out of shape. And I know you were a Marine and you got your boot camps way harder, but if you go to Navy boot camp and you're out of shit and, and you're a mess and you're failing everything, it gets pretty hard because every night I had to go to IT intensive training where they would just just smoke me every night, just have me where I just exhausted, you know, and then I'd have to go back and and fix something. And I remember one night it was uh, inspection. I would always fail inspection because I had such a old school Italian mother who would make my bed, wash my clothes, fold them, put them away for me. So. I never did chores, and I could not make a bed to save my life. I was always failing inspection. We called them racks. <laughs> what do you call them? Racks. R a k s. A rack. Yeah, Make yeah, rack. yeah. So y'all had beds. Well, we had racks. We had racks. We had bunk racks. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I know. So, so I we had this inspection, and uh, company commander comes in and just tears my rack apart throws all my clothes on the floor and says you're coming to it so i'm in it for like an hour drenched like i'm totally exhausted and i'm like god and although i never went to church i believed in god and i just said god please please help me i can't you know i'm a high school dropout i stopped going to school you know after eighth grade i'm like if i don't make it here there's there's no making it for me and uh, I'm like, God, please, if you're real, please help me out. So I walk in and my rack is perfectly made. All of my clothes are perfectly folded. And I'm like, praise. I didn't say praise the Lord. I just said, thank you, God, I guess. And um, 
this little Southern Baptist kid walks up. He goes, hey, Docklin, I figured you'd be tired. So I, I went and hit a major rack for you and, <laughs> and fixed up your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, I was thinking maybe we could do a prayer meeting that night. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So he led us in prayer. And it was the first time I heard like a spontaneous prayer, you know, like a Southern Baptist would pray. And I was like, man, that was a hell of a prayer, brother. <laughs> 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 and uh, long story short, I just... Um, you know, I asked the Lord, you know, to help me and he helped me get through boot camp and had a really stellar career, like always like, you know, sale of the year and stuff like that, ribbons and and uh, all kinds of stuff. And um, but I associated God with the evangelicals I was meeting. So the Baptist, I wasn't thinking about the Catholics. I had nothing against the Catholic Church, but uh, we started when me and my wife and my my girlfriend became my wife right after boot camp. We got married. And we're stationed in Virginia Beach, and I see the sign, No Creed But Christ, Disciples of Christ Christian Church. So we go there, and, uh, you know, we accept the Lord, and, and I just start following Jesus. And uh, then I start meeting uh, a bunch of anti-Catholic Protestants, saying, oh, you were Catholic? Good thing you came out of the Whore of Babylon. I was like, wow, they believe this? And, and they're telling me everything that's wrong with the Catholic Church, and I'm believing it. So I didn't start becoming anti-Catholic and I started uh, well, going home on leave and converting my uh, Catholic family to Protestantism, you know, because, you know, they were like me. We didn't know the faith, you know, it was never passed down to us. So they believed what I was telling them the faith believed and not what the faith really taught. And then, uh, you know, long story short, moving ahead, me and my wife were, you know, growing in the grace of God and we're homeschooling the kids and and uh had five kids and we were just determined you know that she was going to stay home and homeschool the kids that was god's will even if it took me working two or three jobs so then when we moved to florida um and i'm working a lot of hours we're finding these churches but the churches you know i had good pastors good protestant pastors up north and in virginia uh but down here it was like everybody even though they weren't the word of faith, like you came out of, they were all Southern Baptists. It was like careers. I remember uh, I was in a, uh, a meeting and they were voting on a new pastor and they're giving his resume. And I heard the guy preach and he, he, he was horrible. <laughs> he just didn't preach well at all. But they're giving his resume. And this guy's got like all these degrees and a stellar resume. And uh, they were telling me, then they, then they had to vote on him, but they told what he'll be getting paid. And when I added everything up, his salary plus his allowances, this guy was getting paid over a hundred grand a year. And I, so I wasn't a member uh, at the time, but I went and I raised my hand and I was like, dude, he's getting paid more than, you know, 90% of this church. Uh, why don't you offer him half and see if he really wants to do this or if he's just in it for the money? I said, and uh, I said, you know, this is how I feel. And you could hear a pin drop. And then they went on next. Any more questions? <laughs> they just they totally <laughs> ignore that. And uh, truth bomb. Story, what's that? Truth bomb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So long story short, I just seen it was just and then he left to start his own church. Youth pastor left to start his church. Then they got another pastor. And every time they would leave to start their own non-denominational church, they would take a good chunk of the people with them. And uh, so I just wasn't feeling in these churches. We bounced around to a few of them, and it just, I just wasn't really feeling any of these churches. And um, then, you know, 
I started working on Sundays and we weren't going to church at all. And then we're at like our 20 year marriage mark. And my wife just hits me with a bomb out of nowhere and tells me she doesn't love me anymore. She wants to separate. I was like, what? And it was like, you know, the frog in the boiling water. We stopped going to church. We, you know, start kind of getting our old ways again. Uh, and then boom. And, uh, you know, growing up in Irvington and Newark, I was like a nasty street fighting kid. I would, I would, guys like six foot five, I'm, you know, I'm like five ten, I guess. Guys that were like six foot five, I would just scare them down. And they knew I was crazy. They knew I fought nasty. And there was nobody I was afraid of. I mean, I've gotten jumped by 10 guys and was still talking smack as I was getting kicked in the face. I just wasn't afraid of nothing. I never cried. But when my wife told me she didn't love me, dude, I cried like a baby. Mm. Every night I cried. Every night. I was like a little baby crying myself to sleep. And uh, so this went on for a few months. I slept at a friend's house for like three months. And um, eventually... She said, you know, she does love me. And, you know, we've been together since we're like 12 years old and she needed to choose me. She felt like she didn't choose me then. You know, we kind of fell into each other. You know, I was looking out for her. I got her out of the, I promised to take her out of the hood by joining the Navy. But now she chose me, you know, and she knows she loves me. And uh, so by the grace of God, that was 17 years ago. So we've been married 37 years now. And, uh, but then we said, I said, you know what happened? We got out of the church. We need to go back to church. So we started going back to churches and it just, it just seemed like they were all missing something. It was all like the same, everybody just trying to copy each other, being young hipster preachers and, and just hearing their life stories. And, you know, they said they were Bible believing churches, but they would read like two Bible verses and then just talk up, you know, stories and trying to get you emotional. And I was like, dude, that, that worked for me when I was 19, but that ain't working now. Mm. You know, I've been through some real stuff in life. And uh, so at the same time that was happening, my, my dad had passed away. And my mom remarried her neighbor, who was a devout Catholic. So I called, uh, of course, I thought it was my duty to convert him because I didn't think Catholics were saved. And, uh, but unlike the Catholics I grew up around in New Jersey, this guy actually knew his faith. <laughs> and um, he said, well, you don't believe the Bible. And I'm like, whoa, no, you don't believe the Bible. He's like, well, Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. You don't believe that. And I said, well, he meant it symbolically. He's like, where does it say in the Bible he meant it symbolically? And he had me. Like, I had to, I had to admit, he had me. So I'm like, well, I'll get back to you on that one. And then he's like, you say you're saved by faith alone. But right here, James 2.24 says, we are not justified by faith alone. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So I called my cousin. I said, who, who I had taken out of the Catholic Church, and he became like a really uh, strong Protestant apolog apologist. You know, he uh, real educated, knew all the scholars. I'm like, hey, you got to send me some good anti-Catholic apologetics. This guy, so he sends me Norman Geisler, he sends me James White, Ron Rhodes, and as I'm reading, like Norman Geisler's book, he wrote with this guy. Uh, I think it was Joshua Bettencourt, and uh, yeah, Joshua Bettencourt. And they give what Catholics believe and why Protestants disagree. And that was the first time I didn't read like something ridiculous like Jack Chick or John MacArthur, where they just they they lie what the Catholic Church believes. These guys were actually understood what the Catholic Church believed. 
and was explaining why they disagreed with it. It was like honest writing. And I was like, wow, I didn't know the Catholic Church believed that. That's that's actually sounds right. <laughs> Rob, excuse me. You know what people do when they find out what the Catholic Church actually believes? What they do they do? Catholic. Amen, brother. Amen. Every single time. Go ahead. Amen. No, you're right. You're right. So, so I'm reading that. So that was uh, Norman Geisler and Joshua Benincourt books. Ron Rhodes, same thing. He's like giving me these arguments, and he's like, "Catholic Church believes this, but we believe that." I was like, and I was like, "These books are starting to convince me that Catholicism are true." I'm like, "This is weird," and I'm getting scared. You know, I'm getting scared. It's like, it's like Peter Cripps said. When he became Catholic, he's like, oh, my God, I'm falling in love with a whore, the whore battle. <laughs> and uh, and that's what I was feeling like nervous. And then James White's book, who, you know, is Ph.D., brilliant uh, Protestant scholar. And just the beginning of it got me. He said, I'm writing this book in response to all the Bible scholars, theologians and pastors, evangelical pastors that have become Catholic over the recent years. So I was like, what? I don't know anybody becoming Catholic. I know all the Catholics are becoming Protestant. What's he talking about? So I Google uh, Protestant Bible scholars becoming Catholic. And whoa, I, I get introduced to uh, Scott, <laughs> Peter Kreeft, uh, Francis Beckwith. And I'm listening to these guys. I was like, wow, their arguments are overwhelming. And um, the long story short, I said to my wife one day, I said, I think we need to go back to the Catholic Church. And I didn't know, you know, guys, we do everything like intellectually and mentally, but women, they have like a, a they know the Lord in like an intimate, loving way where they can just feel and they feel. And she was like, really? I've always wanted to go back. That's the only place I've ever felt God was in a Catholic Church. Are you kidding? Like, me? Really? <laughs> wow. Are you serious? Yeah. I was like, whoa, I didn't know this. And um, I said, why don't you ever tell me that? She goes, you think you would have listened? I go, no, I wouldn't have listened. I would have gave you all the theological reasons why you were wrong. She said, exactly. And she wouldn't argue with me. You know, I would have just beat her with the arguments. So then at the same time, uh, I'm renting this house. And um, my, my kids had to move in with me. Uh, they were going through a little rough time. And uh, we had to go to a different house that the guy wanted way too much money. So I said, hey, you know, I'm really sorry. I can't can't afford this. And uh, then I get a voicemail from the guy's father. And uh, he said he's willing to lower the rent and let me move in with no money down, which is unheard of. And uh, so I called him. I'm like, this is awful nice. Why would you do this? He said, my son said he had a feeling about you and your family. So anyway, I get to know this guy and he's devout Catholic. And uh, one day I go to pay the rent. And he goes, well, I'll be at Daily Mass. Uh, I'll stop by your house afterwards. So I said, Daily Mass? What the heck is that? <laughs> and he explained to me the Catholic Church has church every day of the week. Imagine that. Yeah. So I told my wife, she booked to Daily Mass. She's a Daily Mass attender ever since. She's like, if you could ha eat the body and blood of Christ every day, why wouldn't you? I don't understand why people don't run to Mass. And, you know, I, you know, some of I, I work every day, so I, I only get to go to daily mass if I'm off. But um, so then she just she just started feeling like such a deep love for Christ, like 
greater than ever before, but even more so love from him. The grace of God was just pouring out on her. And um, so the first day she's in daily mass, uh, she felt like the Lord spoke to her so clearly and said, stop eating my crumbs, come to my table, have a seat at my table and feast. So she went up for the Eucharist and she cried and, and she just felt the presence of God so powerfully. And then I had a burst her bubble. I'm like, well, you were never baptized Catholic. You just can't do that. And she was like, what? So I, we went to the priest and explained to her, yeah, she shouldn't go up for it. But, you know, it was God's grace. You didn't know. You didn't sin because you didn't know you were sinning. And uh, so she was, she was so upset. She wrote a letter to Pope Francis saying, you know, you know, we're Christians. We, we believe. Why can't we have? We came back to the Catholic Church because we, we were craving the body and blood of Christ. And uh, but then God got taught her humility. And um, so she didn't mail the letter and she went to RCIA and she learned about the Lord and, and about the church and and uh, why we got to wait. And um, and she accepted it. And once she accepted it, she's reading the Bible one day. And uh, the way God speaks to her is whole, she journals like every day and she journals what she feels like God's telling her and what she's asking God and in her journal. She wrote, uh, I crave your body and blood. And then he brought her, brought her to a, uh, I got the lawnmower guy out here. Let me move out of the way. Uh, next door to me, my neighbor is mowing the lawn. Sorry about that. But uh, hey, don't worry about it. I'm kicked out of the house. My son is doing laundry. Even after <laughs> I'm going to record, no problem, Dad. I'll just crank up the damn washer machine and <laughs> the dishwasher. And then my son, my so, wife throws me out of my bedroom so she can use her blow dryer. So now I'm outside and the neighbor's dogs are barking. That's, at me that's funny. Every 18-wheeler on I-20 going. Oh, I can't hear any of that. So maybe I'm good then. You can't hear my neighbor's lawnmower? No. Oh, okay, good. All right. Then let me continue with this, this story. It's a good story. So she, she writes in her journal, uh, Lord, uh, I really crave your body and blood. And then uh, there's a verse. I, I, I wish I would have thought of this. I, I didn't even know what I was going to say today. Otherwise, I would have looked it up to give you the verse. But you could Google the verse. It says, uh, uh, you will drink from my chalice. Just straight up. You will drink from my chalice. So she took it as God was encouraging her that uh, she's going to get it. She's not going to be like... Uh, Oh, was that Rich Mullins who died before he finished RCIA? That was my argument why RCIA is too long. <laughs> I said, I'm going <laughs> to, I could die before I get the Eucharist. But, uh, but anyway, uh, so the next day in daily mass, she's watching everybody. And now she's, she's not feeling upset that she can't have it. She's feeling privileged that one day she will. And she's thankful for the brothers and sisters that are going up. And like she, she knew some of them and she was so happy to see him go up and drink the chalice. And she said, um, when the first when the uh, first person drank the chalice, she said she just smelt the wine up her nostrils and tasted the wine. God allowed her <laughs> to drink the chalice. <laughs> and then uh, the next, she's like, she's like, I, this because I think I'm just imagining it, so I want it so bad. I think it's just psych psychological. She's telling me, and I'm like, no, nah, you know, there's more miracles in the Catholic Church than any Pentecostal church we attended. I think Don't it was a miracle. That. Amen. So the next day she goes to daily mass 
And the first person that gets the Eucharist, she tastes the Eucharist. And then because so many people were going up for the Eucharist, she started choking. She said, I was like, my tear, eyes were tearing and I was choking, but I was, I, I was, I didn't want to get up in the middle of, you know, mask and leave. But I was like gagging on the Eucharist. It was like every time someone took the Eucharist, I was getting fed the Eucharist. And then when the last person got it, it just, that feeling went away. And then she was like, all right, God, I guess it was real. Mm. <laughs> so, so her faith is, is probably 10 times stronger than mine. And, and hers is a simple faith. She just knows God loves her and she loves them back. Mine, you know, I had to work it out theologically, but you know, I, the, the main thing that really got me was because I was a Bible believing Christian. I loved the Bible so much. And then when I realized that it was the Catholic Church that gave us the Bible, when I went up, looked up all the church councils and seen the Council of Rome in 382 AD is when the Catholic Church decided which books would be in the Bible. And they confirmed that in the Council of Hippo in 393. And then they confirmed it again in the Council of Carthage, 397 and 419 AD. And I was like, wait a minute, like a light bulb went off. <laughs> I was like, I thought they just made up what they wanted in, you know, Council of Trent. They changed things, you know, I, you know, in the 1500s. No, they knew from the very beginning. They decided, I was like, wow, if, if I don't trust the Catholic Church, how can I trust my Bible? They're the ones who said what should be in the Bible. You and, can't. Then start, and then the same, the same councils that have the canon of scriptures will have other canons. And I read in the uh, Carthage, Council of Carthage 419, I think Canon 24 is the canon of all the scriptures. And then like, there's like two canons later down, like in close to 100 or in 100 that say, um, you know, if you say to, to wait to baptize a baby, that you shouldn't baptize a baby as soon as they're out of the mother's room, you're anathema. I was like, wow. So even back, so the, the same council that decided which books would be in the Bible, these same bishops are saying baptize babies. And I was like, wow, am I cherry picking what I believe here? You know? And so the more I read the councils and I always thought, you know, the Catholic church was all about works, works, works. And in that same council, I think council of Carthage, if I'm not mistaken, it's canon 113 says, um, if you think that you could fulfill the righteousness of Christ without the grace of God, you're anathema. If you say you could do it, but it would be a little bit harder, you're anathema. Because Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I was like, wow, these guys are quoting scripture, but they're not putting the scripture down, you know. And then I realized, okay, yeah, because the scriptures were at this point weren't like a printed Bible yet, but they knew what the scripture said because they knew the guys who knew the guys who knew the guys who wrote the Bible. Mm. So then I was like turned on the sacred tradition and apostolic secession. And the deeper I got in, I was like, wow, this is the church. And, you know, as a Protestant, and you could probably attest to this, you're always wanting to be, you know, the way that first century church was, you know, you want to, you know, how did, and I would bounce around from church to church trying to get to that first century church. And then, and then once I realized this is the first century church, I read Justin Martyr, uh, uh, his like explaining mass and i think it was like 150 a.d and he just explained the mass i went to sunday i was like wow it hasn't changed <laughs> you know and here's a guy 150 a.d saying the eucharist isn't just 
mere bread and wine. It is the actual flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. And then I backed up even, you know, 50 years before that, like 108, 108 AD, St. Ignatius of Antioch, who was discipled by John, who wrote the Gospel of John, said, um, those who say the, the Eucharist is not the flesh and blood of Christ are heretics. I was like, wow. So the, the guys that knew the guys who wrote the Bible believed the Eucharist was truly the body and blood of Christ. You know, and then when I studied history, that this is like a new teaching that is just symbolic. I was like, wow, for 30 years, I was missing out at the best part of being a Christian, eating the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said in John 6, 54, 6, 56, if you eat my blood, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will have eternal life. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, I will abide in you and you will abide in me. You know, how many times as Protestants have we taught people, you know, you got to abide in Christ, you got to abide in Christ. But we really, were we abiding in Christ? He says, if you eat my flesh, you'll abide in me. That's how you abide in Christ, right? You know, so the deeper I got into uh, Catholicism, the more excited I got. <laughs> and then, you know, my evangelical brother saying, well, it's not about the church. It's about Jesus. I'm like, Jesus is the church. We're his body, remember? Hello? Or is that just symbolic too? <laughs> you know? <laughs> And uh, <laughs> and I just when I would hear like these arguments against me, I just wanted to shout to the rooftop. But instead, I made a YouTube video. <laughs> and uh, tell us I, about that YouTube channel. What's where, that? Where do we where do we find that YouTube channel? Because I'm going to be honest with you, Rob, you're the only person I watch. I don't watch anybody else. Uh, I watch you. If I watch anything, I watch you. Tell the folks out there how they can watch your channel well it's just a uh, blue collar catholic that's it you know it's nothing fancy uh you know i'm not much fancier than john if anything he's a little more fancier because he's got a podcast with music i don't even know how to add music <laughs> yet <laughs> he's got to teach me how to do this but yeah it's just blue collar catholic on youtube uh and i just um nothing's uh nothing's edited nothing's uh really prepared we just speak from the heart like john does you know uh, for a while there i was really slow at work uh so i was making videos from my work truck uh at the beginning of each day but lately we've been running and gunning i haven't really been able to so i either make them at night when i get home or on the weekend and uh i'm just a blue collar guy i work you know at least 60 hours a week uh and uh i make videos when i can and uh but by the grace of god he's amazing i just you know i would just email people or call people and ask if they want to come on a show and you get and, all the celebrities on your youtube show they want <laughs> you're you're big time i'm just <laughs> hey I, I i got scott Hahn when i had like six thousand youtuber you uh subscribers he said yeah wow. so you could do it you just got to reach out you know yeah. and uh well he reached out to me once no way yeah yeah he sure did why didn't you reached have out his right hand and shook my hand. Wow, there you go, man. <laughs> I was uh, I worked at EW10, and um, I had um, they had a, a maniac charge the uh priest during the TV mass. You know, there's only 11 million people watching. Wow. And the guy went after Father Wade during the mass, and I put the old linebacker hit on him. <laughs> Nice. Good a job, few brother. Nights later, I was walking around the campus 
and I ran into Father Mitch. You know who he is? Oh, I love Father Mitch. Yeah, I used to drive for him a lot, and and uh, I'm he's with some short guy with a beard, and uh, I see Father Mitch. You know, he wears a white cowboy hat with his priest clothes on. That's funny. He said, hey, John, come here. I want you to meet someone. And so I walked up there and he said, oh, Scott, this is John. He's our security guy that took that wacko out. <laughs> so, well, Scott Hahn reached forth, reached out to me with his right hand, shook my hand and thanked me for protecting the uh, sacrament. Wow. And uh, so that was my moment of fame. Go ahead. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, that was probably my worst job doing an interview because I was in such awe. You know, I kind of got like starstruck. So my introduction was like 12 minutes long. And (laughs) my son was like cringing, like, okay, let the man talk. Nobody (laughs) wants to hear you. They want to hear. But I I had to show him every book. I got like 12 of his books. So I was showing, I got this book, I got that book. And (laughs) I was just like, and in my head, I was like, okay, help. Somebody help me. I'm talking and I can't shut up. But uh, but then once he got to speak, uh, it was awesome as usual. So if you want to watch me interview Scott Hahn, just fast forward like the first 10 minutes and it'll be worth watching. <laughs> but, you know, we just can't help ourselves, Rob. No, we can't. <laughs> we can't. Well, you know, I had yeah. to come up with a nickname for you because what did I call you at first? You kept calling me Brad and I thought that was Brad. the gayest name. I was like, dude. Brad, yeah. really? Could you call me Rocco or Tony, <laughs> but Brad? I don't know why, man. I just started calling you Brad. And I <laughs> my I YouTube guess. channel and said, hey, man, you got to hear this guy, Brad. <laughs> and one day you stopped me an email and said, dude, my name is Rob. So I had my, uh, a jingle with your name. I do that with a, a lot of people I meet because to help me remember their name because there's nothing more embarrassing than not remembering someone's name, especially if you like them. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I never forget a face. But, yeah, I never forget a face, but names, I, I'm not the best at names either. Yeah, so uh, I had a, um, a professor when I went to seminary. Okay. And uh, he was telling me about uh, Joel Osteen's dad, mm-hmm. uh, John Osteen. Okay. I remember him, but he was a country Baptist preacher and I mean rough as a cob. Wow. But the thing he was noted about, you know, he started that church Joel Osteen has. That's his dad's church. Yeah, I knew that, but I wasn't real familiar. I knew the story that he inherited the church, you know, it's like well, it was, it's like a business. It's like they passed down a family business. That, that's <laughs> why priests don't get married, just to prevent that from happening. Yeah. Wow. It that's, happened, that's you know. But, uh, you know, it was Lakewood Baptist Church in Houston, and John Osteen yep. started the church in a feed store. A store. No way. I didn't know that either. That's crazy. Yeah. He built it up to an enormous mega church, and then he got the Holy Ghost talking in other tongues and got spirit-filled, and a hurricane come and blew the Baptist part of the sign off. Oh, no way. So it became Lakewood Church. And then, you know, uh, John Osteen, I used to go see him quite a bit. Really good preacher, and uh, he had multiple heart surgeries. And then when he passed on, you know, they pulled his son Joel out of the bookstore. Wow! And they said, "Get your butt up there and preach." We had a TV, you know, a TV audience Sunday, and the rest is history. But the thing that John Osteen 
was known for is he would always remember your name. If he met you in an airport in 1968 and ran into you today in another airport, he'd say, hey, Rob, how you doing? Wow, that's that's a gift, man. That is a gift. We had a way of doing it, and one of the ways you can do about it is when you meet someone, you can get their name and make a, a acronym or a, a rhyme or, or a picture or something. So I just started saying R-O-B Rob because I was telling myself <laughs> it's R-O-B Rob. I R-O-B-Rob. noticed that because you're, you're one of my few YouTube channels I watch too. Uh, and I noticed that. I was like, why do you call me R-O-B Rob? But in the I got to run. I got to run. My wife's staring at me like the exorcist through the window because I'm outside. All right. Well, I I just want to say thank you. And uh, I never told you how I found out about you. You didn't reach out to me. You you thought you reached out to me first, but years ago you commented. You said something funny, and my son thought it was hilarious. Whatever you said, so he clicked on you and said, "Oh, you got a YouTube channel," and he and he liked the video. And he sent it to me. And since then, this is a couple of years ago, me and him both subscribed. And, and, and me and you were going like uh, punch for punch with viewers. And then you lost your phone. You were out of your phone for like a year. Yeah. So, I, uh, yeah. I see, you catch, I see you're, uh, you're, you're coming on strong again. So I'm, I'm happy about that, brother. I'm happy about I, that. I appreciate it, man. My uh, granddaughter, during, during the first of COVID, I think it was, my granddaughter got a hold of my phone. You know how you... On the iPhone, you got to tap in your code. Yeah, yeah. Well, after a certain amount of tries, that thing is shut out, and you ain't getting it back open. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't so know that. It shut out, and I went down there to the Apple store, and guess what? COVID, we're closed. Oh, we're closed. no. Wow. It took almost a year. Man. A year to get my account back, and I did. I lost Wow. I lost my red. I lost my mojo, brother. <laughs> they quit watching. Wow. Yeah. So uh, I, I, it wasn't you, man. You were as good as ever when you came back. What it is, YouTube has algorithms. So if you're not making a lot of video, they're not pushing them out. So yeah, you know, you oh, can well. make a video ten times better than Taylor Marshall. But since Taylor Marshall makes two videos a day and he's got half a million followers, they'll push his video all over the world. Where yeah. me and you. They, they're not people got to be looking for us usually to find us well but hey, I like, listen i don't i don't want you to get the wrath of the right <laughs> wife on you so tell her i said thanks for loaning me you I will. a little bit i will and we'll do this again uh this was fun man all right rob i love you brother love you too brother god bless all right thank you everybody for tuning in to hear my good buddy rob be sure to go by his youtube channel blue collar catholic and i'll hit subscribe and all man, I, I do I, he's really i shouldn't say this but i don't get into these celebrity catholic youtubers um you know all the names i just i don't listen i don't watch but rob i, I do watch his and what i'll do is i'll binge i'll listen to i'll just pick a day and i'll be working out or walking my dog or driving around town and I'll just listen to Blue Collar Catholic. You know, I'll binge it out. So appreciate you guys tuning in. Please give us a five-star rating if you like the podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. And I'll see you next time.